Welcome in to the decade ending at the Buzzer Podcast. New Year's Eve, when we're recording, 2019. Uh, the end of a, let's put quotes around this word, illustrious end uh, to a to a lost decade, I guess, for, for CU Sports. Um, this is your co-host, Jack Barsh. Over there is your um, more famous co-host, Sam Mativier. Back in the States, Sam, how are you? I've been in the States. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm, for sure. The entire time you've recorded this podcast, you've never left the States. Exactly. Um, yeah, well, this was a fun decade for me because I uh, turned into an age where I understood football and basketball and really felt every year of the sports happening. Mm. So it's okay that this was the least successful <laughs> decade of CU football history. All I'm saying is children in the 80s got to watch movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink to learn about heartbreak before they experienced it. You and I just got to watch CU football, um, which just prepared us for the rest of our lives, really. How, what better way to thank us than the giving us heartbreak over and over and over again? The, my only salvage is that I'm a basketball fan first, and this was actually like one of the best decades of basketball, possibly the best. Oh, it's a golden era. So, yeah. Um, so what do we have this week? Well, before we, I guess you're right. Before we look long, long-term view over the past 10 years, let's just go over the past seven days. Um, you know, as we said last week, CU played Iona, um, and we hoped before we recorded that they ended non-conference at 11 and two and boy, how did they end non-conference at 11 and two, uh, CU beat Iona, what was it? 99 to 54. Yeah, um, they were doubling CU or CU was doubling up Iona's score by the time the starters came out. Yep, sped with 16, so just barely covered that 16-point spread there. Um, <laughs> honestly, the loudest the arena was was when uh, Jakob Dombeck missed a layup to make sure that CU stayed at 99 points instead of 101. Um, and that was the honestly the biggest cheer, or not cheer, I guess, um, exclamation from the crowd. How about his – I just loved Jakob Dombeck's energy in that. I know we've already gotten off the rails. <laughs> but <laughs> he hasn't played barely at all this season. And he got put right back in. He chucked the three, made it. And then he got McKinley back. a technical for that. Yes, McKinley got a technical for spilling out onto the bench in the celebration. Um, and then Jakob, uh, he hustled down for a rebound that he didn't need to get, hustled back down the floor, chucked another shot, even though CU could have just ran out the clock. Mm-hmm. And then he... <laughs> Uh, man, I just love his attitude, and he's just, he just wants to play basketball. He's so excited. <laughs> <laughs> he's like those kids that play at the halftime at the Nuggets games, or the CU games, where they're just going. Honestly, uh, yeah, same, same amount of skill level, too. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Jakob. I thought he was pretty good, but whatever. No, I, I think he's very fun. Um, yeah, so a dominating win. Probably the best CU's looked all year, which is great. Um, CU's peaking at the right time here. McKinley Wright was unbelievable in, you know, he took five shots, 13 points of those five shots, 10 assists, one turnover. It's exactly what we want to see from McKinley playing lower competition. Deshaun Schwartz hit all the shots again. Shane Gatling was reinserted into the starting lineup, uh, played good D, moved the ball well. Evan Batty, once again, complete beast. God, he's really good. You know, what can we say? I thought it was a really good um, get-right game before they – um, coming to the biggest matchup of the year. 
Yeah, and then to do it after an eight-day break since the Dayton game. That's always yep. nice to see. As Tad Boyle would say, his favorite stat, um, 26 assists, which is unbelievable. Uh, 26 assists on – I'm trying to th- uh, see how many made ba- baskets. 34 shots. 34 made shots. Um, that also, is not sustainable, record. but oof, that's really good. School record, 17 three-pointers made. From eight different players, yeah. See, uh, you shot the hell out of the ball, and they passed the hell out of the ball, and sometimes those go together. So, um, I don't know, easy win, which is good. Uh, it pushed CU about 10 spots up in Ken Palm, which is wacky to me because the Dayton lost. The Dayton win dropped them down. Well, um, we should stop putting so much weight into that because we know how fluid it is. Right. Uh, it's just nice for me to see, I guess. It's nice that – uh, CU's get, getting, I would consider, more and more accurate with how good they actually are. Um, mm-hmm. They However, landed at 26th in the yes. AP poll. Yeah, we're still um, ranked. Just outside the top 25, which is too bad. This would have been the, what, you said the fourth ever, third ever top 25 matchup. Uh, yeah, course, I don't know how Arizona is even ranked. They haven't beat I don't anybody. know how Virginia's ranked. Virginia is just not good this year, and they're ranked. Because purely based off of the name, I guess, but like everyone knows they aren't that good and they're still I don't know. I don't get it. Arizona Arizona's dropped three of their last four and their best win of the season was pff, Wake Forest. Danny Manning. Um <laughs> Yeah, so going into the biggest game of the year, CU played a really nice clean win, dominating win. Um and I guess before we keep beating around the bush, let's talk about the biggest game of the year uh, with number four, Oregon, coming to town. Yeah, so Oregon is like, they're the epitome of the, the experience defense first team that just toughs out wins. They had a comeback win over Seton Hall that was spectacular to watch. Mm-hmm. That was in the Bahamas. Yep. Uh, then they came back again uh, against Gonzaga, although they lost in overtime. And then the next game, Michigan. they... What? And then also against Michigan, is that what you were saying? No, uh, I was going to say the, the North Carolina tight game against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Then where they ended up losing. But then they, again, they beat Michigan at Michigan in a an, in an crazy game. Yep. So they are very tested. They also beat Memphis earlier this season. Uh, and I think that was with James Wiseman. I think that was a James Wiseman Memphis. Mm-hmm. So they had the number one team player in the country, and Oregon still – Beat him pretty handily. Um, so yeah, they, they have three, three top 15 wins already. Uh, then two other close losses to what were top 10 teams. Gonzaga's now number one. North Carolina's unranked. <laughs> so it's been a little bit of a fall for them. Uh, yeah, th- there's three things I'm trying to keep in mind when I go into this game. Um, number one, there really is not too many bad outcomes for CU as long as they keep it relatively close. Um, so while this is a really fun game, and I think it's um, a really good test, and I think it's a huge boon, obviously, if CU beats the number four team in the country, um, a loss to Oregon is not going to do anything bad to resume, right? It's not going to t- keep goals out of reach. Um, it's frustrating, and you know I'd rather they win, obviously, but I don't think losing to Oregon uh, on Thursday will hurt the the macro level. Um, objectives of the season. I'm trying to keep that in mind before I get way too disappointed after whatever happens. Um, second thing I'm keeping in mind, uh, Oregon has never won in Boulder. Ta- uh, Dana Altman has never won in Boulder. They have had really good teams before, um, 
and CU has had way worse teams before, and it didn't matter because CU would still win. So Yes, uh, Oregon's Final Four team lost to a team that lost on the first round of the NIT. I was about to go to that game. Um, Oregon came in here with Tyler Dorsey and Dylan Brooks and Chris Boucher, all healthy, all Jordan playing. Bell. You forgot their best player, Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell. That, don't you dare say that was the best player. <laughs> Who do you think was the best player? It was absolutely Dylan Brooks. Uh, okay. I hate Dylan Brooks, and it was absolutely Dylan Brooks. Ugh. Um, but that team was really good. That was a really good Oregon team. That CU team was really average. <laughs> It was it was Derek White and a bunch of guys that um, are guys. Well, and, Derek White showed out in that game. So. Oh yeah, oh he absolutely did. I think what was he? He was I think perfect from three, and he took about six. It was something crazy like that. Anyways, you know Oregon still lost that game. Um, so I I think so the way that CU matches up with Oregon and the home court advantage really work in CU's favor. Um, I'm not confident that the the never 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 won in Boulder Street continues, but. Um, it's a good thing to have going into this game. Um, the third thing I have going into this game is against all, I guess against all odds in my mind, Peyton Fritchard is like one of the best players in the country. Um, and when you have a guard on your team, that's one of the best players in the country. You're going to be really hard to beat every single game, especially when your defense is that good. Yeah. So Dana Allman always does a really good job of making his roster out of like the transfers and the bits and bobs that are just floating out in the college basketball ether. And he, I, honestly, I think this is one of his best roster roster constructions yet. Cause it had, there is no, I cannot find a hole on this. I cannot find a deficiency on his team. I don't think there is one. This is a very scary team. This is the best outcome of what it could have been. Yep. They have a ridiculous point guard in Peyton Pritchard. They have shooters in Anthony Matt Mathis um, and Chris Duarte. They have shot makers and drivers in Will Richardson, C.J. Walker. Um, Shakur Justin is now coming back from injury. He's great on defense. He's an energy guy. Um, Francis Okoro is length inside. Ugh, they, have they, have a lo- they have a lottery pick. And Fale Dante just kind of sitting on the bench getting ready yep. to play big minutes. Yeah. Um, they're efficient on offense. They're the number four Ken Palm rated offense in the country. They are stifling on defense, um, not CU level stifling, but um, they are not a pushover. They're probably one of the two best, one of the two best team defensive teams CU's faced this year. I would say, um, probably the best team on defense CU's faced. Depending this year. on how you feel about Kansas, yeah. Yeah, um, but the nice thing is CU's already faced three extremely high level offenses. In fact. Um, I, before, without looking at the exact stats, I think even though Oregon is the fourth highest efficient offense in the country, uh, yeah, Dayton and Kansas are also in the top 10, top 13. So CU knows what it feels like to play really good offensive teams. Um, and the nice thing is they haven't played any of them at Boulder. So I think it's, it's going to be a really fun matchup. It's gonna be, I think it's going to be a pretty close game. Are you going to be there? Uh, I am planning on being there. Okay. It's, it's the Thursday uh, after New Year's, and I technically have to work, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. I'll be there. I'm trying to get all people I can go there. It's mm-hmm. going to be like 25, 30-ish for tickets if you're doing general admission. So there's like no good excuse for CU fans to be missing this game. Like, yes. I CU fans should know. I, I get some casual fans. They don't see the number next to CU's name, so they don't necessarily think this is going to be a close game. But 
this is the best CU team that has faced an Oregon team. Other than, I guess you can go back to 2014 when Spencer Dinwiddie's still playing. That that was a really <laughs> fun. But that game was also one of the best games played at Coors. So I am expecting similar fireworks from this one. I, I, mean, I really am excited. My favorite game going before like they broke out. This was in the 2011-12 season was uh, when Nate Tomlinson hit that game-winning free throw at the buzzer. Like that. <sighs> wow. What a great transition to the main topic of this Man. podcast, Sam. Oh, yes. Thank you. You're a natural. <laughs> Go ahead. Introduce it. <laughs> we're we're going to be doing um, our all-decade teams for uh, football and basketball. All-decade teams, all-decade moments. Um, just talking about the CU Athletics from, tw- from 2010 to I guess 1231 2019 yeah and we have some we have some other uh end of decade stuff on the website uh we're doing a uh or i published like a the people's heisman team of the team of the decade mm-hmm. uh i did my all decade college football and college basketball teams which you have a problem with yep. uh <laughs> and then we're also uh we should have posted by the time this is up uh athletes of the decade and then the stories of the decade. So we're going to do a, like the story of the year every year for the past 10 years. So if for some reason you haven't been reading Ralphie Report for the last 10 years, um, we're going to distill it all in about three articles. So great time <laughs> to start. Um, you know, oh man, just going, and now I'm thinking macro level is a good double transition. Like you said, CU has never lost to Oregon in Boulder uh, while they're part of the Pac-12 or under Tad Boyle. But really, Tad Boyle kicked off the, the decade of the 2010s for CU because he was the first coaching hire of this new decade. And uh, wow, what a hit. <laughs> yeah, he made the NIT Final Four in his first season. With Alec Burks. With Alec Burks and Corey Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next year, they were picked 11th. There was their preseason, they were 11th in the Pac 12, and yep. then they won four games in four days to win the Pac 12 championship. Then they they beat UNLV in the NCAA tournament. God, I love that team. Mm-hmm. And then they lost to Brady Heslip and the fucking Baylor Bears. Seven threes, uh, seven threes, Brady Heslip. <laughs> God, <sighs> yeah, I mean, just talking on a complete 30,000 feet flyover level what you just said part of that is why i think a lot of fans are so loyal to tab Boyle, um as they should be you know other than the fact that you know he's averaging he just got his two, 200th win iona was his 200th win as a head coach at cu right mm-hmm. this is his 10th year so he's not even through 10 years and he has had 200 wins at cu so just quick math he's averaging a little more than 20 wins a season as colorado's head coach yeah, there he, is no other coach in CU basketball history that is doing that. This is yeah. the best decade in CU basketball history he's because the, of Tab Oil. He's the best coach in CU history. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty simple. If you look what you just said, NIT Final Four his first year, he recruited Alec Burks back to Boulder, which is a huge win. Um, I thought, oh, do you mean after his freshman year he was yes. going to leave? Okay, yes. gotcha. Yep. He got Corey Higgins to stay too. He got Corey Higgins to stay. Um, Corey Higgins, one of the best players in the EuroLeague, by the way. I think he's still playing for Cisco Moscow. Is no, that he's right? playing for Barcelona. Oh, best, even as a step up. Yeah, the best team in, the, in Europe. 
with Nikola Mirotic and Corey Higgins as their best players. <laughs> I mean, and then transitioning from that, which is the anti-tab ball team, that was all offense, move the ball up and down the court, to seamlessly pivoting to what his vision was, which was defense, grit, rebounding, you know, t- tough out every game because he realized the talent level at CU is not going to be at the Arizona talent level or the UCLA talent level, but you can have the attitude and toughness that's above their level. And um, that puts you in games that you shouldn't be in. And for this decade, CU has won games that they haven't and shouldn't have won for the previous a hundred years, you know? And I love that his first ever recruit was the epitome of Tad ball. And that's Andre Robertson. Yep. Well, and let's not, I mean, we love Tad Boyle. Jeff Fidelic also recruited Andre Roberson. It wasn't completely okay. uh, Tad find, but it, he epitomizes Tad's um, mission, you know. And also, go for it. One, one of the more unexpected stories of the decade is Jeff Fidelic going from CU coach to Wake Forest disappointment to one of the best and most respected assistant coaches in the NBA. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I believe CU having his name floated for a few NBA jobs mm. starting job i don't know if that's true I, i'm trying to remember because he was with the rockets right I don't yeah know. yeah he, Whatever. he shaped that team so um, i you know this this decade has been largely consistent for basketball which is nice because it makes it easy for us to sit here at the end and say who our favorite players were blah 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 favorite moment um so let's go through obviously our favorite coach of the decade is tad um Let's go through the our favorite our favorite players for CU. Our favorite our favorite players, or are we doing the all decade team? Well, let's do. I I would say that's my all decade team. So okay, let's do all decade team. Okay, uh, I think this is pretty easy. At least four of the spots are pretty easy. So I'm going to do uh, two guards, and then mm-hmm. a guard slash forward, and then two forwards. Okay. Uh, so I have Spencer Dinwiddie, Alec Burks, Andre Robertson, Josh Scott. Those are my easy picks. Uh, and then my fifth spot is a tentative McKinley Wright. <laughs> a tentative McKinley Wright. What's that hinging on? Um, well, the, the season's incomplete. And so he'll only have two and a half seasons with CU. Uh, and if you really want to go back, Corey Higgins had two full seasons at CU, his junior and senior year in the decade. Hmm. Uh, and I was kind of punishing Higgins for not playing his whole career in the decade. Yeah. Uh, but I'm rewarding McKinley Wright at the same time. It's a little contradictive. Um, I mean, that's the thing. It, it's hard for me to say, like, well, McKinley has had more impact in his years because Corey Higgins is an all-time leading scorer. Um, but McKinley's probably been on better teams than Corey was, um, at least in his, previous, in his freshman and sophomore year. Um, well, the, the, the team that won, went to the NIT Final Four – that was like the biggest NCAA tournament snub that year. Right. They were the ones at the end that everyone's CU was the ones at the end saying, how did they not get in? That was, yeah. that was that CU team. And I was like, I remember complaining to my mom on the phone cause I was only like 13 years old that <laughs> uh, VCU got into the NCAA tournament over CU. Was and that then a v- Shaka smart VCU? Yes. That was the VCU team that went to the final four. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have been. <sighs> You know, uh, I think we have similar teams. I don't know if we have the same teams. So okay, give me I think yours. everyone's, I think everyone's, there's uh, obvious number one point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie. He is 
patron saint of Colorado basketball now. Um, Having an Andre, all-star season. Uh, yes, he is. Uh, might be, the be first, Tab Royals' first all-star. He would be CU's, I think, second ever all-star. First is who? Jay Humphreys? Chauncey Billups. Oh, duh. Um, <laughs> I don't think Jay made the all-star game ever. Um, okay, Spencer Dinwiddie, shoe-in. Um, I think Andre Roberson, shoe-in. Um, I think Josh Scott is a complete shoe-in. And then I think um, Alec Burks is a shoe-in, though it's interesting, you know, he was obviously CU's best pro prospect and probably the best offensive player CU's ever had. But I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't, It's hard. He's one of the harder ones for me to put in there just because the, how short his time was in this decade. Did you see Alec Burks? Yeah. Um, well, he played both his years. Yeah, but he also, you know, like I said, he, this is my favorites, and I love Alec Burks. He was obviously electrifying to watch, but um, I also love, you know, my guy's the Josh Scott who <laughs> overcame, you know, not being very athletic to be really good. Um, mm-hmm. And Alec Burks was really good and really athletic. Um, and here's my, here, guys, here's my shock pick. Um, instead of McKinley Wright, I am going to put Derek White on the first team. Okay. I, I, I had Derek White on my first team originally. I don't know if there's ever been a more one-player team than that 2016 team. Um, and Derek White was so unbelievably good. And I will say this until the end of time, but this decade looks drastically different for CU basketball if the NCAA isn't ridiculous and makes it Derek White sit a year for going from Division Two to Division One basketball. I do not know why tell me, a player... Tell me who's on that team. <sighs> so... Derek White announced to transfer, I believe, what is that? It was it 2015? That was a 2015 season um, that he was he sat out because he played in the 2016 season. So the 2015 season still made the NCAA tournament. And let me tell you who the starting guards were on the 2015-2016 team. <sighs> they made the NCAA tournament starting guards of Thomas Akizili, Dominique Collier, Xavier Talton, and Josh Fortune. They all started at some point in time. Jesus that Christ. Year. Derek White sitting on the bench for that entire year for, for transferring within the same university system so you know the credits count and you know he can do the academic work. And he's transferring up from D2 to D1 so it's not a competition or like a free agent-based holdout. They just made him sit for no reason. You're telling me right now, if you don't put Derek White as a starting point guard on that team, where you have sophomore George King, most improved player of the, maybe the country that year, you have senior Josh Scott, who was an absolute beast, you have Josh Fortune now transitioning to an off-ball shooter role. You have Dominique Collar transitioning to the six-man. You have Boise Gordon as a cleanup guy. You have Trayshawn Fletcher coming off the bench as a defensive effort. You have Tory Stewart as your third big now. You have Xavier Dalton, Thomas Eckersley playing the cleanup man as the guards. And then you don't even play the rest. Kenny Guzanich is yikes. But that team, <laughs> God, that team is a Sweet 16 Elite 18. Because that is – imagine the pick and roll between Josh Scott, Derek White, with George King sitting in the corner. That is a next – oh, God. Did, did I get forget, frustrated every was time. Was this the year Xavier Johnson was injured? Uh, this is the year Xavier Johnson was injured. Okay. Yeah, then you could do a uh, – well, well, uh, like the, the, the butterfly effect, say, Xavier doesn't get injured that summer. <laughs> I, just get, uh, I just get so upset every time. That, that's why I'm saying Derek White is my first team because I think he's so impactful even in his one year. Because of a complete hypothetical you have? Well, no. His one year, he still dragged a team that didn't want to go to the postseason to the NIT. Like, he still was amazing. Yeah, that team didn't give a single shit, to be no, honest. No. Well, Derek White did. You yeah. Know? And, and they but, beat, they beat uh, 
I believe Xavier and Oregon. Did Xavier make the Final Four that year? Uh, no. Or they made the Elite Eight. I think so. I, was that Chris Max last year at Xavier? That might have been. Uh, that was the Trevon Blewett team. Yep. I don't know. So, anyways, um, to finish out my team, I'm going to have two honorable mentions. Honorable mention has to be Askia Booker because he was – Gonna be talked about in a second as one of the most. He made one of the most impactful plays, and then he didn't, he didn't make my second team. I had Carlon over him. Well, we can actually. That's actually a pretty good segue. Um, my other honorable mention is one of my favorite players to ever shoot up for CU for no reason. Trayshawn Fletcher. I love. <laughs> I love Trayshawn Fletcher. I think. Oh, I think he got the short shaft over and over and over again. Um, and I'm so glad he thrived as a grad transfer going to Toledo. So those yeah, are my guys. I, I, that's my team. I, I love Trayshawn, too. I, my honorable mentions would be uh, Derek White and Corey Higgins. Uh, George King was also one of my all-time favorite players for no really good reason. I just loved him. I mean, he, um, was, a fun, he was a fun wing guy. I mean, he was a f- fun-looking player. I just, loved the way, player. I just loved the way he rebounds. Yeah, and I mean, his shot was pretty. He saves to you from a few very bad losses in his career. That Auburn game was still great. Um, he would just post up on campus, just like sitting in the same spot, just listening to his headphones, just not giving a shit. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> Outside the library. Um, I also, so now let's move on. Also, Deshaun Schwartz is on my all-time favorite players. I, yeah, he is up your alley. Yeah. He's right up your alley. Um, let's go to, okay, favorite basketball moment of the decade, Sam. Okay, I have the 2012 Pac-12 champs. Um, they Are won, you saying the win over Arizona, or just the entire championship? The the the, the four days. The four four wins of four days. Yeah, that's a singular moment to me. Still, the only team ever. Is that correct? To what? To win four games of four days. I have no way of checking this. <laughs> uh, I think it is. I think they're the only Pac-12 team who's won four games of four days to win the tournament. So what? What were they? A six seed? Um, I don't remember their seeding. But they well, okay. So they had like they were like an, an average average ish team in the Pac twelve schedule. They got some good wins, they got some bad losses, typical CU season. Mm-hmm. But then everything came together in those four games. They just kept fighting, fighting, fighting. That team had so much senior leadership with mm-hmm. Nate Tomlinson and Austin Dufault. Tomlinson now coach at CU, Austin Dufault an assistant with the Lakers now. Mm-hmm. Carlon Brown was a senior playmaker. They had Dinwiddie, Robertson, and Booker as the young energy guys. And just everything came together. It was great. Carlon Brown just created offense out of nothing. Yeah, and it was a great proof of concept in general. That four games of four wins was a uh, four wins of four games was a proof of concept, I think, of of I'm gonna keep coming back to it. But like you said, that was Tad Ball where he just said, I'm gonna recruit shot takers and shot makers like Carlin Brown, like Spencer Dinwiddie, like Askia Booker. And then, and then I'm going to focus on defensive rebounding and trust that my guys can generate enough offense for us to win. Um, and it worked against the best teams in the league. Well, that was also an extremely, extremely weak Pac-12 season. CU was the only Pac-12 team to make the tournament that year, I believe. I mean, you say that, but also, like, it, you know, CU was part of that being a weak Pac-12. It's not like CU was head and shoulders above everyone, and then they ran the table. No. You know, Arizona still had ridiculous talent. Like, and Cal, Cal uh, still had. That was back when Cal had. I forgot who the coach. Jorge was. Gutierrez. Um, was it was it Quanta <laughs> Martin back then? Was it Mike Montgomery still? Oh. I don't remember. But uh, it, well, they yeah, they had 
they had Jorge Gutierrez and Alan Crabb, correct? Yeah, yeah, Alan Crabb. Okay. Um, they weren't a tire fire like they are now. Um, and so you just hammered them over and over and over again. And there are some great posters from that. There's the Carlin Brown windmill poster from that oh tournament. Oh, my God, yeah. There's the Andre Roberson dunk over everyone in Cal poster from that tournament. I think Spencer Dinwiddie over Stanford might have been from that Pac-12 tournament. Oh, man. It was just – that was a good. That was a good. I one. mean, Washington. Washington won the uh, the conference that year in the regular season. They didn't even make the NCAA tournament. That's what I was saying. It was a weak year. Mm-hmm. It was ripe for CU to just kind of step in and make a run. Yeah. Because there weren't any elite teams that could just beat the shit out of them like Arizona would the next few years. Well, uh, my favorite moment is a little more conventional than yours. Um, I think it's the only. It's the obvious one. It's yeah, so the. It's the one I didn't pick because you picked it. Well, thank you. Um, it was obviously it's the Askia Booker buzzer beater to beat number six Kansas in Boulder. Um, that was probably CU's best team. Still, um, still is probably CU's best team of the decade. That is one of the most iconic shots in CU history. Probably one of the best buzzer beaters of the decade. Um, just a complete. I mean, that, that whole game was fun start to finish. Um, then when he put it on a clinic, we had the Ben Mills outplaying Joel Embiid um, storyline. <laughs> you had the Trishon Fletcher stealing and then dunking over Andrew Wiggins. And then um, a skew booker, shot taker, shot maker at the end um, with a, I would call it a non-travel. Some people would say it's a travel. Um, I don't see how that's a travel. Step through and then beautiful stroke from about the logo on the half court. Um, and I think he knew it was going in when he left his hand. And then just splash, especially when he comes over, tackles him, and then the rest of the fans just spill on the court. Um, oh. That is something that made a lot of CU basketball fans. That, that shot did. And that was, I mean, that is the moment, right? That is CU's, like, that is the moment for CU basketball this decade. Yeah, I can recall three buzzer beaters from the decade. Uh, oh, four, I guess. If you count George King's game-tying three against Washington State, that was weird as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have that. I have the uh, McKinley Wright's buzzer beater in that weird early season yeah, tournament. Yeah, against Quinnipiac. <laughs> where, like, C was supposed to go to the Bahamas, but there was a hurricane, so they went to fucking Lynchburg, Virginia instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Deshaun Schwartz's buzzer beater to beat Dayton. Right. Also a great buzzer beater. Yes, that um, could be... That's another one great moment of the decade. But it wasn't it wasn't at home, and it wasn't against Kansas. And I think the fact, fact that CU played with the big guys and then beat the big guys, and it wasn't fluky, really. It was just a really good game that they happened to come on top. Is oh, It's great. Yeah. All right. Um, should we move into football? Yep. The much more fun decade that CU football had. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We technically had four head coaches um, in the 10 years, going from 2010 uh, to 2019, if you count. 2010 is Dan Hawkins last year. Yeah. Um, yep. So Dan Hawkins, John Embry, Mike McIntyre, and now Mel Tucker rounds out the decade. Um, and boy, howdy. There is a, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we can probably spare the year by year what happened, what didn't happen the disappointment through it all <laughs> so oh, we yeah. could probably do you want to just go straight into our our all decade teams yeah sure. our favorite players yeah all right this one there's what 24 spots 
26 spots here. So we're going to have to be a little bit quick. Well, but, I mean, but there's some we don't necessarily <laughs> have to talk about too much. Mm-hmm. Like we agree on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so quarterback, I think it's pretty easy to pick Sefo Lufau. Yep. Only choice for me. He is the only choice. Yeah. Uh, second team, if you want to do a second team, there's an argument between Tyler Hansen and Steven Montez, but um, I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah, I just, I just care about Sefo. Yeah, I just want Sefo. He also made my people's Heisman quarterback. Him and Denard Robinson were my, cord, my quarterback, so you mm-hmm. should go read that because I spent too much time on that. <laughs> all right, then I have one running back and then one all-purpose player. Yeah. And it's Philip Lindsay and Rodney Stewart. Um, I think it's a very clever way to get both Philip Lindsay and Rodney Stewart on the first team. Um, I think they probably both belong in the first team. I mean, yeah. running back has to be Phil. He is a legend, um, and he is in the record, but I think he's the second-leading rusher all time, so no other option. But Ronnie Stewart was a bright spot um, during a period of CU football that didn't have a lot of bright spots. I think Rodney Stewart might be the all-time leader in yards, the all-purpose yards. Yeah, well, no, I think it's still the enemy. I think uh, – okay. Well, then Stewart's second because he had all those kick return yeah. yards. <laughs> right. I mean, From- God, it was fun. Well, what he was a was he a four year starter? He displaced Daryl yeah, Scott in the same was. recruiting class. I think he was a four year starter. Uh, another late Darian Hagen find. Darian uh-huh. Hagen said this tiny second two star out of Ohio looks pretty good. Um, and Dan Hawkins trusted him enough where they signed him, um, and then he outperformed the two other four star running backs that were in that class, five to four star running backs. Who was the other one? Ray Polk, who moved to safety. Oh, I didn't even know he played running back. I just knew him as a safety. Yep. Um, all right, receivers. This one's hard because I'm only picking two receivers, so I have yep. to leave. I yeah, disagree I... with you on one, but keep going. Okay, I want to hear it. So I have Paul Richardson as the obvious pick. Huh. That's, that's where I disagree, but keep going. Oh, okay. And then I have LaVisca Chenault, and then I'm leaving off Nelson Spurs. Yeah, so I think LaVisca, you have to put on there. He is singular in Colorado history, um, I think, in his talent. Um, he has a lot of great moments. It's too bad that the teams around him didn't get him to a bowl game or anything a little more valuable, but that's true for almost every player on this list that we're doing. Uh, but LaVisca's a, a freak, one of the best CU offensive players of all time. Um, and then I don't agree with Paul Richardson. I love Paul Richardson. He had one of the greatest single seasons in CU wide receiver history. Um, but there's also a kid on here who had a better single season in wide receiver history, and that's Nelson Spruce. And I think Spruce belongs over Richardson um, just because of how he was the offense in that 2014 team. There was nothing else. I think starting running back pinball between Tony Jones and Christian Powell, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, Nelson Spruce had, what, 22 catches against Cal, something like that. There was, there was nothing else for CU to, to do than throw, other than throw to Nelson, um, and he delivered. Okay, I, I think I think Nelson is first team. You're making a very convincing case. I also just love Nelson because um, he and my friends, they, my friends had Nelson Spruce's old dorm room, and Nelson was scratched into uh, the wall. <laughs> I I also have uh, Scotty McKnight on my second team. Thought he's worth mentioning. Yep, I think as he a is. very very 2011 player. Tony Clemens. <laughs> Do you remember Tony Clemens? I remember Tony Clemens. Bryce Bobo, Shea Fields, probably get some mentions. Um, but I think Paul, I think Spruce and LaVisca, 
belong on the first team together. Yeah. All right. Then tight end and offensive line. We have the same opinions. Yep. There's nothing hot takey here. I love Sean Irwin. Yeah. God, I tight, love Sean Irwin. Tight end to Sean Irwin, who is basically a blocker. God, I love him. He got oh, his blocks like, in 2016 were just beautiful. Just beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, tight end's been a pretty dark position for CU. Honestly, you could decade. just be just based off of Brady Russell's last season catching the ball. He belongs in the top three here. <laughs> Which I'm is putting, sad. I'm putting him over Ryer Greer on the I second I do like team. Ryer Greer, but whatever. Oh, yeah. So, Sean Irwin, okay. I think, is first team no matter what. Yeah. And then linemen, uh, this is actually pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, Nate Solder and David Bakhtiari. Easy. Easy. Ryan Miller at guard. Easy. easy. Uh, Daniel Munyer at center, which is... I think that's pretty easy. And then uh, the last spot is kind of difficult. I'm going to give it to Tim Lennett. Or Lynott. I don't know how to pronounce his name still. Why not? I, I think Tim would not. But yeah, yeah, I think the only argument you have is maybe you should put Munyer at guard and then Kelly at center. But whatever. Alex, um, Alex Kelly. Alex, Alex Kelly deserves some mention. The, I think he he's the only CU player to play for three coaching staffs, recruited by Hawkins, played under Embry, and then played under McIntyre. Also a wonderful personality. Yeah. And he uh, scored the first touchdown of the 2016 season. That's right. The first touchdown of the rise is <laughs> Alex Kelly's. Um, I mean, that's a re- actually a pretty good offensive line individually. It's just too bad that no one could, um, for seven years, they couldn't put a solid group of five together. Also, um, what CU, CU had David Bakhtiari, Nate Solder, Rodney Stewart, Seth Alufo, Jimmy Smith, Jill Brown, and they still went like two and ten. The 2012, you mean? Yeah, something like I that. I think Jordan Webb was the quarterback in 2012. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Anyways. No, wait, no, that, this, I'm talking about 2011. They went okay. three and nine. But then that was oh, geez, three and was, nine. I don't remember the Hanson. Was. Hanson was that Hanson's Hanson, last year? Yes. Um, special shout out also to Stefan Nembot. Um, larger than life in every single way. Um, just couldn't beat out Solder and Bakhtiari, which is understandable. But yeah, we we both have Nembot on our favorite players of the decade list. Yep. Uh, let's go quickly to defense. Also, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of, um argument here i might have a little bit nitpicky with your list but most are gonna have the same same players all right yeah so i have three down linemen because he has been playing the three four most of the decade if not all of it i don't really know nor care um <laughs> so uh, mustafa johnson's the best off defensive lineman we've had at defensive uh, end yeah absolutely yeah uh jordan carroll was fantastic in 2016 i also agree with jordan carroll uh, Josh Tupau, I think, was our best nose tackle during the decade. Uh, Tupou was one of the best nose tackles of the Pac-12. I think he's still in the NFL. I yeah, would say on, absolutely Tupou. Tupou is the only nose tackle even option. Um, the only thing I'm going to add is I love Chidira Uzo-Daribe. Um, I had I him, ki- and you criticized me for it when I made this list in like August. I don't know. I, I mean, he was really he was a good player on a lot of really bad teams. And it's... Yeah. And that's what endears him to me. I don't know if he deserves to be over there, over Carroll or Johnson. I don't think so. But he also didn't have the benefit of being coached by Jim Levitt and being surrounded by NFL defensive backs. So yeah, I, I if you had four defensive linemen, I'm putting Chaderozo to Rebay yep. there. Yep. Um, okay, edge rusher. I have Jimmy Gilbert. Only option. Only option. Maybe you Derek, can do George Hippolyte. George Hippolyte, I think, is at the end of the. Um, and end of the tw- near the start of 2010, I think George Hippolyte played, but Gilbert Gilbert deserves to be on there. 
Derek McCartney as a culture player is also something to consider. Yeah. Um, okay, interior linebacker, I'm doing two. Okay. I have Nate Landman and Kenneth Olibode. Uh I agree with Kenneth Olibode. I think Kenneth Olibode is unsung, I think, with, with what he did. Um, the 2016 team works because a lot of what Olibode and Gamboa did. Um, and I think Landman is going to end up being one of the best linebackers that CU's had in the past 25 years. So I also agree there. I would yeah. just, like you said, I'd like to mention Rick Gamboa and Addison Gillum. I love Rick Gamboa yeah. and I love early Addison Gillum. Freshman Addison Gillum, te- absolutely a terror. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm also going to add a buff backer slash star position because mm-hmm. uh, we've seen that the past half decade. Uh, I'm going to put Davion Taylor as the only option there. Yeah, Ryan Muller deserves some mention just because of how much he stepped up in 2016. Also, he lost to my high school in the state championship game. Yep, Rifle High School. Famously lost. Um, uh, Muller also forced the fumble um, against Utah at the end of that 2016 team that Oleg Bode returned for a touchdown that sealed that win. So he deserves mention for that too. But Davion Taylor, I think, will end up being better in the NFL than he was in college. And he's going to be... It's going to be a nice name for CU to throw out there in recruiting. Absolutely, as a player they developed, kind of, because he was yeah. so raw coming into the year. I remember uh, DJ Elliott, rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was talking about Davion just being just a project. Like, like this guy is not, like, he's going to be amazing, but he's a project. Mm-hmm. And that's what we saw. Just a freak athlete mm-hmm. who, like, really learned how to play his last five games of his career. Yeah, I mean, it's just too bad that he, he learned football so late and he also couldn't redshirt anywhere. But, you know, I, I'm just yeah. happy that we had him for the two we, two years he did. Yeah, okay. Then I'm just going to do four defensive backs because CU's had a lot of really good cornerbacks, but only one good safety. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I have Cheeto Bayouzie and Jimmy Smith as the clear top two. Uh, with te- Lord, that's so good. I know. Uh, <laughs> I love those two so much. I think Cheeto is my favorite player of the decade. Him, Cepho, and Lindsay. Okay. Cheeto and Jimmy Smith are your bookends. That's a good. That's a good start. <laughs> With uh, Isaiah Oliver, Craig Henderson, and Jalil Brown as the depth. Ugh, Which is ridiculous. Team. And Chappelle. Yeah. Oh yeah, Chappelle Brown as the slot corner. Uh, but then I have Akella Witherspoon as the uh, as the third defensive back, and then mm-hmm. Tedrick Thompson as the safety. Yeah. The one good safety we've had, and he was. Um, I think off a lobby was pretty good. Um, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think he was good at what he was supposed to do. I guess I, I think off lobby was good being next to Tedrick. I guess is what I'm gonna say. Is how I'm gonna yeah. say that. Okay, yeah, that's a. Um, but that this is the one t- group that CU has been able to consistently produce. Honestly, going back to the '80s, you know, is the defensive backs. Um, and this decade had a lot of really, really, really good defensive backs that are on some really, 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 really bad teams. Um, Greg Henderson, once again, shout out, toiled through the worst moments of CU history um, and was honestly really good. Um, he was also like the only consistent defensive player through that whole ordeal. Yep. That yeah. was when he was there with – okay, also shout out to Jason Espinoza. <laughs> honorable mention Jason Espinosa, Espinosa Island honorable mention D.D. Goodson who played defensive back for like three games I think that um, Jason Espinosa is like the Sabatino Chen of football for 
because everyone it's just a weird reference that if if you were watching see you in that year you everyone knows who that is and everyone loves it um let's quickly go through the specialists um kicker i guess is will oliver i guess right has to be i guess um honestly not not the best position for see you after crosby left um kick returner i think is is has to be rodney stewart um, I don't know. McIntyre and Tucker are both pretty conservative the way they do kicks, so there weren't a lot of options. Mm-mm. But Rodney Stewart was was good when he was back there. Um, punt returner, I would say you have this. You have it right. Isaiah Oliver is point number one. I think he is the only punt return touchdown of the decade for CU. Yeah. So and against the UCLA in a twenty to fourteen win. For the win, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then punter is the hardest one to look at. I think because we've Kenny had is, a, Kenny is really good. We've had such a spoiled decade. For punters, yeah, we Alex don't even is, is solid. Um, I think he's going to actually do okay in the NFL if he gets there. But um, I think you also have this correct in that Dara O'Neill, Dara O'Neill was one of the best in the country, um, and he uh, played for what four years. Yeah, and he's a fan favorite, iconic. Yep, local uh, guy too. His he uh, can putt with both feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then his uh, brother plays for the Rapids. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, his family lives in like lives in and around Boulder. Really lovely people. There you go. I just knew that he could he could punt with both feet, and uh, he had one of the best fake punts of all time against Hawaii in 2014. I which I don't remember. I remember Alex Kinney's punt against Hawaii. <laughs> I think Alex Kinney's first oh, punt. Oh, oh yeah, Jeez. was blocked. I also remember Al- Alex Kinney punting the ball directly into the ass <laughs> of a long snapper in Michigan. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Uh, the best punter to have terrible moments. Mm-hmm. Um, all things considered, it's not that bad of a team. Uh, it, it's just, you know, there are much better decades where we could pull all-decade teams for CU. Yeah. Um, and 2020 been, is looking to be better already, so. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you have any favorite players? I listed my three favorites. I have Awuzie, Lindsay, and Lufau. Yeah, um, I have one favorite player. He captured my heart. I will defend him to my last breath. Sefer Lufau is everything that I want a college player to be. Um, he is my far and away favorite player. In terms of watching them play, I loved watching Tedrick play. I think he was he was so smooth, and he, he was – I don't know. It, the, the fire he played with, Cheeto Bay was like athletic and smooth, and he knew what he was doing at all times, but Tedrick was a little more fiery, um, and he laid the wood. I loved watching Tedrick play. Um, obviously I like watching, love watching Phil play. LaVisca was singular in what he could do, but mm-hmm. no one got me like Cepho got me. I legitimately had tears in my eyes when I, when I had to watch him play for the last time at Folsom against Utah in a gritty win where once again, third and five, the offense was line him behind Sean Irwin and just run him until he can't run anymore. Um, God, he and Cheeto and Tedrick and all those senior leaders are the reason that CU won 10 games that year are the reason that CU went to a bowl game at all this decade. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. He was, it, it's just, that's a guy you, to me, I'm just going to remember as like, Oh, that's what I want to call his quarterback to be just complete grit, toughness. He knows he didn't have the, he doesn't have Montez's arm. He doesn't have the best legs, but he's going to run anyone over who stands in his way. And I, I just love that. I love, I love Sefo. Okay, uh, speaking of Sefo, give me your, dec- your moment of the decade. 
Um, you know, I think it has to be for 2016. Uh, I think it has to. I think I could have picked either the Nebraska catches, I guess, but um, 2016 was just a magical moment for CU, um, in general. And for me, the most fun I had watching a singular CU play was being at the big house when CU played Michigan in 2016 with like 500 or a thousand other CU fans. Um, and they started off hot. It was up, they were up 21 seven and then Michigan figured out that no one could cover Jake, Butt, so they moved down the field and then Jabril Peppers was Jabril, Jabril Peppers and punt returns. Derek um, McCartney, Derek McCartney was also injured and then Michigan realized. So was they Diego could, Gonzalez. Yeah. Well, um, okay. And then Michigan realized without McCartney, they could just get to the edge every yep. single time. Yeah. Um, luckily, though, for CU, Sefa <coughs> was dealing um, until he got hurt, uh, and, and they, I think he had a stress fracture in his foot. So all the momentum's on ankle. Michigan's side. I think he hurt his ankle. It might have been an ankle. I don't he know. He fractured his foot the year before. That's right. Thank you. Um, it yeah, was his ankle. But all the momentum's on Michigan's side. They're on the road. 100,000 people are expecting a win now. And CU comes out there, first play from scrimmage. Um, in the second half is Sefa Lufau on a broke, on a hurt foot, hurt ankle, stepping up, knowing he's going to get hit, throwing a bomb to Shea Fields, wide open, 75-yard touchdown, and everyone was quiet. Everyone was dead quiet, except for the 1,000 CU fans who just watched. To, uh, to, I mean, one of the plays I'll always remember. Um, and then you watch Sefa Lufau crumple on, on the field after that because he just got nailed by Chase Winovich. And he has to get helped off the field. He can't even celebrate. But for a second, you know, that was the last time CU led that game. So for a second, yeah. he thought I thought he's, he's trying to will CU to a win. And he was dealing that game regardless. Um, and then Montez came in and things spiraled after the game. But if you just take a moment, that is my moment, is watching. That is perfect Zepho. It's just heart and grit and toughness and making something happen. I think oh. that, that that game kind of captures what could have been out of that season. I know CU went 10-2 and two in the regular season, but I think there's a legit argument that CU would have gone 12-0. and 0 if CU did Sefo not lose a hurt. game. CU did not lose a game that year that Sefo started and finished. They did yeah. not. So they, they took the lead on that play. Um, this was against number four Michigan in the big house. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a huge deal. CU was, uh, I mean, they were 1-0. Two and they were two uh, and zero, coming yeah. off of a dismantling of CSU. Yeah, absolutely shit rocked them. That was a great. That was and the then first. Uh, what was I it? Covered. Fifty-six-seven Idaho State win, I think. Yeah, something like that. But it was just something that hasn't been seen before. You know, it was before we were celebrating nice wins over Charleston Southern in twenty whatever, and then you know coming off of a four-win season, and then CU just comes out with their hair on fire. Uh, and the the seniors on that team, they just carried them. Yep. My God. Um, but yeah, All so right. Your I think I'm going to pick the Michigan game as well, honestly, because I want to talk about it because for me, it, it was a woozy strip sack that mm-hmm. turned into the Derek McCartney touchdown mm-hmm. to me, the, uh, that puts you up 21, seven, I think. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, Oh shit, this is possible. McCartney also under- got injured on that play. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, oh man. That whole season, obviously, like we said, is filled with moments. Um, I think that Michigan game, like we both said, it was kind of a wake-up call for everyone, saying like, oh, this team is actually really for real. Um, mm-hmm. This is a really, really good team. And it's a what could have been. It's a what did happen, honestly, too. Like, that was still a really good thing 
I think if um, Sefo if Sefo didn't get hurt, they may they might win that game against Michigan, and they definitely beat USC. Yeah. Oh God, they were so close to beating USC, anyways. Yeah, and that was with Montez having a pretty bad game. <sighs> um, there are other moments I think the Vaviska catch at Nebraska, Scott Frost's first game, um, is up there. I think the Tony Brown catch or the Storm Field, the Field Storm against Nebraska this year is up there. Um, I, I Kella think, Weatherspoon's interception against Oregon to clinch yep. that win. Oh yeah, and I think also clinching the Pac-12 South Division Championship um, against Utah with a dragout game um, and rushing the field then was also is also up there. First, I think that was the first sellout and see you in 15 years or whatever it was. Um, I want to say just in a vacuum as well, Paul Richardson's touchdown pass to D.D. Goodson against Oregon. Yeah, <laughs> Bryce Bobo's touchdown pass to Philip Lindsay. Uh, you know, there are a lot of moments in that 2016 team. I think is responsible for a lot of them. I don't know. It's, it's when you look at stuff like that, it's like, this is why I love this sport and college athletics in general is like these stories and these kids, like, it's just really fun to look back at that. And you can, I can remember exactly. It's, it, it's, it's a connection I think you have that you can't fake with an NFL or a professional team. Um, you know, and I, we were both in school for that 2016 season. That's something yeah. in that campus. Was, yeah. Campus just felt different. Yep. People were just so like excited. And I know there's like a lot of like, uh, people are upset all the time about how much funding football gets and how much of a, <laughs> how much attention it gets compared to other things, but it's like a huge deal sometimes. And that just felt, it just felt different. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a that was a team that brought a lot of people back on board with CU football and showed that it wasn't completely dead, which a lot of people were, you know, it fan support was waning and that team brought a lot of it back. Um, and it, it was a convalescence of a lot of stuff coming together too, where if you just look at the, even not just like what's on the field, but CU video was at a ridiculous level that year, which brought us some amazing footage, you know, the rise mm-hmm in part happened because of all of those videos that they put out that were Emmy award winning, you know, shout out to Matt Cisneros. Love you. Matt Cisneros, Jamie Guy, Johnson Nelson. Um, it was a combination of Mike McIntyre realizing he needed to hire someone else on defense and finding someone plucking someone named Jim Levitt out of thin air. He did that um, the year before, but yeah. Well, yeah, but coming together and making everyone play just their ass off all the time you know, bringing in Chev to speed up the offense. Um, McIntyre getting coach of the year despite the seniors leading that team. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, kind of a cheap shot. And then it obviously didn't end well, but it, that to me defines the decade for CU. It's just that team is why people love college football. That was all experienced players we've watched for three years grow, and then they just decided we're going to win now. We and also we all got to celebrate with them. We all grew with them and celebrated with them. It was God, it was fun. We also should have been in the Rose Bowl that season. But the Pac twelve was like, no, we're gonna put USC in here instead, even though we won the South. Well, we see you got punished for going to the championship game, which yes. never makes sense to me. But even though Lufau got injured in that game too. But you know. And that Washington team made the playoffs, so I don't know. I'm still bitter about that. Who cares if we would have gotten rocked by Penn State? It would have been fun to see Tedrick get ran through by Saquon Barkley. <laughs> well, this has been the CU decade um, going through 
please let us know what what are your favorite players, your favorite moments? Um, who do we leave off? Who do we not talk about? Um, and as we enter a new decade, 2020, Tab Oil's still here, thank God, but brand new coach who only got one year um, in, in the 2010s and hopefully a lot more wins in the next decade. Yep. All right. Thanks, Jack. All right. Signing off for the last time in 2019.